Now let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our scripture readings for today come from the Common English Bible. All of our readings come from the Gospel of Mark today, and we begin with chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. The beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, God's Son, happened just as it was written about in the prophecy of Isaiah. Look, I am sending my messenger before you. He will prepare your way, a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. John the Baptist was in the wilderness, calling for people to be baptized to show that they were changing their hearts and lives and wanted God to forgive their sins. Everyone in Judea and all the people of Jerusalem went out to the Jordan River and were being baptized by John as they confessed their sins. John wore clothes made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. He announced, one stronger than I am is coming after me. I am not even worthy to bend over and loosen the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. About that time, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. While he was coming up out of the water, Jesus saw heaven splitting open and the Spirit, like a dove, coming down on him. And there was a voice from heaven, You are my Son, whom I dearly love, and you I find happiness. At once the Spirit forced Jesus out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for forty days, tempted by Satan. He was among the wild animals, and the angels took care of him. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, announcing God's good news, saying, Now is the time. Here comes God's kingdom. Change your hearts and lives and trust this good news. Next, we turn to chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. Jesus left with his disciples and went to the lake. A large crowd followed him because they had heard what he was doing. They were from Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Adumea, beyond the Jordan, and the area surrounding Tyre and Sidon. Jesus told his disciples to get a small boat ready for him so the crowd wouldn't crush him. He had healed so many people that everyone who was sick pushed forward so that they could touch him. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down at his feet and shouted, You are God's son! But he strictly ordered them not to reveal who he was. And now, chapter 8, verses 27 through 30. Jesus and his disciples went into the villages near Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? They told him, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. He asked them, And what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, You are the Christ. Jesus ordered them not to tell anyone about him. We continue with chapter 15, verses 33 through 37. From noon until three in the afternoon, the whole earth was dark. At three, Jesus cried out with a loud shout, Eloah, Eloah, lama sabachthani! which means, my God, my God, why have you left me? After hearing him, some standing there said, look, he's calling for Elijah. 
Someone ran, filled a sponge with sour wine, and put it on a pole. He offered it to Jesus to drink, saying, Let's see if Elijah will come to take him down. But Jesus let out a loud cry and died. And finally, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they could go and anoint Jesus' dead body. Very, very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they came to the tomb. They were saying to each other, Who's going to roll the stone away from the entrance for us? When they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, and it was a very large stone. Going into the tomb, they saw a young man in a white robe seated on the right side, and they were startled. But he said to them, Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He isn't here. Look, here's the place where they laid him. Go, tell his disciples, especially Peter, that he is going ahead of you into Galilee. You will see him there, just as he told you. Overcome with terror and dread, they fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone, because they were afraid. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I planned this series some time ago, I had been working on the idea of it before everything got turned upside down and shaken. I felt like it might be a good time to come back to the idea. I wanted to spend four weeks to look at the four gospel accounts. I'm starting with Mark. This might seem out of place since Matthew comes first in the printed version, but I'm starting with Mark for various reasons, including Mark's length and being the earliest written. I also felt Mark was a great way to introduce this series. I wanted to look at each of the four Gospels as their own story, their own book, if you will. Part of the issue with reading all the Gospel accounts together, we often read them as one story where we have to smooth out the wrinkles and connect the dots. We want them to fit together like a puzzle. In our rush to do this, we often don't think about what each account says and how it is being said. Now, I feel I should say something about the author. We don't know much about any of the gospel authors. We don't actually know who wrote the gospel of Mark. Mark's name is attached to it now, but we don't know exactly when his name was put on the account or who Mark was. Mark is often tied to the John Mark of Acts, but the truth is we don't have any evidence to back up that claim or any others about Mark's identity. This isn't to say that they can't be correct, but we don't have any evidence inside or outside the gospel itself. The writer of Mark doesn't declare his name or relation to the story. According to scholars, Mark is the earliest of the gospel accounts, and he seems to have written for a mixed audience of Jews and Gentiles, that he uses a lot of Jewish phrases, but then also goes on to explain them. Mark can feel a little less polished than the other gospel accounts and can be overlooked because of style and length. And Mark was not written in the best of Greek either. I chose the various readings for today because they help to highlight the message of Mark and show off some of the unique features of Mark's gospel. One of the interesting aspects is the brevity. Mark is short and to the point. There is no account of the birth of Jesus, and there seems to be very 
little concern about it. Everything picks up at the beginning of the good news, and Jesus goes to get baptized. We get a familiar story, as we find with many of the stories in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They are known as the synoptic gospels, as they often have the same general flow and share many events. John shares some events, but often is told in a different order, and sometimes with a lot of things that are not included in the other three. And we'll touch on that a lot more when we get to John. One of the things with the way that Mark opens is that Mark packs a handful of events into a short section of Scripture. We are introduced to John the Baptist. He baptizes Jesus. Jesus spends 40 days in the wilderness and then begins his public ministry, which is the familiar story that we get, but it is covered in just 15 verses. There are many more details in other accounts, but Mark seems to be eager to get on with the story. John the Baptist raises no qualms with baptizing Jesus. Jesus is baptized and goes to the wilderness, and we don't get any of the details about his struggles there. Mark seems to be interested in Jesus' ministry more than anything. For Mark, you often get Jesus and what he is teaching. Mark is very to the point, and in lacking detail, it sometimes leads you to having to come to your own conclusions. The account is also filled with some things that feel a little odd when we read them. They might leave you wondering why after you read them. One of the things that can seem off is that Mark includes multiple accounts of Jesus trying to keep his profile low and identity hidden. We see it in chapter 3. Jesus is out and people are being healed, but when the evil spirits shout out, You are God's son! He gives orders that he shouldn't be revealed. We see it again in chapter 8. In the exchange between Jesus and the disciples. He wants to know who people say he is, but when he asks about who they think he is, Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus again repeats his orders that they don't tell anyone. And this can feel confusing because for us, he's covering up something that we declare is one of the first things we often say about him. He doesn't want to be identified as the Messiah, as the Son of God. However, when we have to ask why, it makes us think deeper about the issue itself. Maybe he knew that his ministry would be interrupted too soon if he got a reputation. Maybe he thought that people wouldn't pay attention to what he taught, but would be absorbed by the rumors. But it often seems as if his focus is on his teachings and not on himself. Now, one of the things about the brevity of Mark is that it often leaves us questions that leaves us to be the ones struggling with the answers. For me, this is one of the beautiful things about Mark's gospel account. It doesn't answer every question. It just presents itself as it is. One of these things is the way Mark depicts the crucifixion. Each gospel author tells a different story. Mark seems to focus in on the suffering and the humanity of Christ in this moment. 
There's a desperation and an abandonment. My God, my God, why have you left me? That's it. No speeches, no flourishes, no words to anyone, really. The last thing Mark records Jesus saying before the crucifixion is the sole answer to Pilate, that's what you say. Then we get nothing until those words of despair on the cross itself. And that's difficult. Honestly, it's almost made more difficult by Mark's original ending. Most critical works have the original ending of Mark at the end of verse 8 in chapter 16. The women go to the tomb, they find it empty. A messenger in a white robe tells them not to fear because Jesus has been raised. They should go tell the others, but they flee in terror and said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. End of the book. Done. Right there. No more story. At least not here. Now one might think, how can that be the end? How can you finish there? We're not the only ones to think that. As people later added more to the ending as it felt not complete. I think the point is that Mark has been fairly straightforward. We have now been given the last information we need. Jesus said he'd live again, and he did. Maybe Mark let it in there so others would pick up the story from there. The way I see it, Mark tells the story of Jesus' ministry. It begins with him getting baptized and proclaiming the good news. We get his teachings. We see the crucifixion. We get the resurrection. It ends with his prediction about him rising coming to pass. For Mark, the act of rising is the last part of Jesus' earthly ministry. And that makes it the last thing that he needs to mention. Because you now have an account of Jesus' ministry from the start to the finish, with his words being proved to be true in the final act. Mark is all about the mission and the ministry. The focus is less on believing in Christ to be all the things he's proclaimed to be, but in demonstrating that his message proves who he is. It's a fairly interesting portrayal. It's almost the reverse of John, where John is all about who Jesus is, but Mark is all about what Jesus taught. The resurrection is important because Jesus said it would happen. So what do we make of Mark's brief, sometimes feeling rushed, account? As the earliest account, I think it captures some of the early focus on just making sure people got the message. Mark isn't concerned with the birth. Mark wants to focus on the message. This is what Jesus taught. That's what you need to know. For Mark, Jesus' actions speak for themselves, and his right teachings prove who he is more than anyone else proclaiming it. Much of Mark goes into Matthew and Luke. One theory is that they both had Mark as source material, and I'll touch on that when we get to them. But Mark can be overshadowed by the other two gospel accounts because they often have more detail. He can be overshadowed by John because of John's intense focus on who Jesus is. The stories get fuller. There's more narrative. For me, Mark feels like one of those retreats where you get back to basics, so to speak. 
Mark is very much a sandwich of ideas. He starts with the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, God's Son, happened just as it was written about in the prophecy of Isaiah. And after John is arrested, Jesus came into Galilee announcing God's good news, saying, Now is the time. Here comes God's kingdom. Change your hearts and lives and trust this good news. Mark ends with, Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He isn't here. Look, here's the place where they laid him. Go tell his disciples, especially Peter, that he is going ahead of you into Galilee. And you will see him there just as he told you. Mark encapsulates Christ's ministry in a unique way as we start with the prophecy of Isaiah being fulfilled and end on the prophecy Jesus gave about himself. I think if we let Mark stand on his own, if we don't combine all the other accounts with Mark, but let Mark be the book it was written as, we get a very special picture of Jesus. The crucifixion in Mark is a desperation we can relate to. When we speak of Christ being fully human and fully divine, we are often heavy on the divine and light on the human. Mark gives us something relatable. Human emotions are on full display as Jesus cries out through the pain and the suffering. A man abandoned by his friends, his followers, and he's executed in a terrible way, so he cries out. I don't think that detracts from the story at all. If we are to see Christ as fully human, we have to expect fully human emotions that come with it. So I encourage you to read Mark by itself. Read Mark's gospel as a book unto itself about the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth, Son of God. Hear those stories without connecting them to all the others, but hear them the way Mark intended. Straightforward and to the point. Hearing what Mark says to let Mark say, this is the Jesus I know. This is the story as I know it. It helps to give us a new understanding as we read each gospel as their own story. Start to finish by itself. No matter how much we gain from having all four accounts together with the letters, it is still important to be able to read Mark as Mark was written. Not part of a collection, not sandwiched between Matthew and Luke, but Mark was written to be the story of Jesus Christ. It was his way of sharing the good news. It is important that we let Mark's truth shine forth and that we understand that each gospel author has a story that they tell in a way they tell it as a book by itself. So read Mark for Mark. And hear those words by themselves, speaking of Christ the way Mark spoke. See what Mark is saying still to you today about a relatable Christ. See how the gospels can be opened when you take each one and let the author speak to their own experience with Jesus Christ, with their own voice, standing alone. Amen.